welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Loga the Barbarian. And I have a special guest with me today, WFS of Prismatic Wasteland. Hey there. It's, it's more uh, WFS. <laughs> we, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you might be familiar with Prismatic Wasteland because it's been brought up some in our blog reviews. We're fans. I'd like to talk about at least one of the blog posts there today. But before I get there, I hear that you have something going on with the zine month right now. Sure. Um, so I'm doing you know, my my first project for zine month, and it's uh, Barkeep on the Borderlands. It's sort of a <laughs> pseudo sequel to the, the classic Keep on the Borderlands module, but it's a a pub crawl adventure. So oh. the same way that a, a dungeon is, you know, kind of a, a location-based exploration, same thing, except for instead of corridors and rooms, it's city streets and bars. So <laughs> that's kind of the, the selling point and it's going to go live on February 8th. And we're really excited to show more about it. I'm curious to know just a few things. You say it's a pub crawl. So are you, are you fleshing out the town or mostly the different pubs and what sort of interesting things are you bringing to those the art for it looks great by the way yeah the, the art sam amelli uh, aka Skullboy, um, who's done a lot of stuff on troika and, and all, all kinds of rpg stuff so um in terms of what the zine is bringing it's bringing kind of a pub crawl procedure um i'm really big into you know procedures for dungeon crawl kind of exploration so it's bringing that to a city-based adventure and then it's detailing all these different there'll be there'll be 20 different pubs and taverns or, or you know speakeasies nightclubs what have you and those are kind of the bulk of the the adventure and the idea is you can use it as a full-scale adventure there's kind of you know a adventure hooks and a plot uh, so to speak or you know the way that I usually run published things is I just steal things <laughs> so these bars are are single you know spreads you can just pull to this random spread use that tavern and you know whatever your game is oh and, and we have a lot of uh, guest writers as well who are going to write there own kind of versions of pubs with Chris McDowell and Zedek Chu. So a lot of kind of big names in the OSR. Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that you had had other names involved in the writing when I had when I had looked at this. I must have missed that part, but that's exciting there. They're in the stretch goals kind of arena, but um, you know, we're, we're hoping that we can knock all those out. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no doubt. Let's hope so. If you and the Kickstarter, the day we're recording this, I don't think it's live yet, but by the time this comes out, it will be live. So, okay, you, now you've got a little blog called Prismatic Wasteland that we've done a few reviews of some of the stuff in here. You haven't been doing it. How long have you been doing? It? I think it was about a year you were saying recently. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So I started December of 2020. So just uh, just over a year now. What got you wanting to do a role-playing blog? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, we, we all had the collective experience of going through a plague together in, in 2020. And I think feel like most people picked up maybe one or two new hobbies. And one of mine was getting really invested into RPGs. I discovered um, Luca Rezek's UVG system, like in basically the month that the pandemic happened. Started kind of designing my own system from there. And by the time it came to December, I was like, you know, I've read all these excellent, you know, blogs, Necropraxis, uh, Dungeon of Signs, all these like really cool blogs. I was like, I'd like to get in and, and start making my own blogs. Um, I was aware that the blogging scene had kind of um, not died, but withered a bit since the you know demise of G+. But I've, I've honestly, it's gone better than my expectations in terms of 
running a blog in 2021. <laughs> I I know I ran a blog for quite a while, and it, it has been it's been a long time since I ran it. Um, I've dabbled in blogging since then, and I, it has the blog scene has vanished from what it used to be. I miss it. I, I preferred having different sites that, that brought us unique content and things that I'm interested in. The, there was a time when bulletin boards and stuff like that were more common and attached to individual sites. It seems like all that discussion and all the things that happen on there, now people are posting to things like Twitter and Facebook, and it's not happening as much in blogs. I personally would love to see a revival of activity on blogs and people using them and posting there. Me too. I, I definitely, the, the internet's gone in a very centralized direction. I'm not sure if it'll ever go back, but blogs are kind of a, a window back to how it kind of used to be. And, and I have to use Twitter and, and those kind of things to, because that's how people get to the blogs these, these days, but it's nice to have a separate site that you're not beholden to social media companies. Yeah. It's nice. You're able to post your own stuff, what you want. You don't have to worry about what you've posted really, or anything else, anybody whatever's going on. And if people come on there and start making comments that are nasty or anything like that, it's easy to hit delete. <laughs> I'm a big fan of hitting delete to nasty comments. <laughs> yeah. The, the one we're planning on talking about the, the apolitical article is actually whenever I turned on my comment section to auto moderate. So I have to approve them before they appear because it got linked on some, you know, backwoods forum on the internet and, a lot of kind of nasty comments that weren't constructive. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've had that experience. We had, we had with uh, previous blog, my previous blog that I ran, we would get lots of, one place that loved to link to us was as a Stormfront. Are you familiar with Stormfront? Yeah, I'm aware. They did not like <laughs> us. I, I'm actually proud that, that, uh, that I was referred to as, uh, I was, I was compared to Berkeley in the sixties there. I was like, that's not the worst thing to be considered. Really. I guess <laughs> they're going to be throwing mud. Berkeley in the 60s is better than a lot of things coming from them. So that is what that was. They did not like me. <laughs> so this blog post, I thought was a good, a good look at something that I've talked about before with others. And I don't know if we've really delved much in here on our podcast about this, but I think it's time we talk about this. And, and the title is... Apolitical RPGs do not exist. I think some people might be scratching their heads when they hear that. Could you perhaps elaborate on the on the title there, <laughs> what the actual blog post says? Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's kind of a provocative title on purpose. And I think that the reason for, you know, immediately would might think, well, no, there, there are apolitical RPGs is, you know, because the definition of politics might be more kind of strained for some people. I think that some people think politics and they think, you know, whatever political parties and whatever issues they're debating and, you know, keep those modern issues out of my games. You know, I just want to play, you know, elves and storm castles and stuff. But I take a, a broader look at what politics is and, and kind of base it off of societies defining, you know, who gets what resources and who gets what power. And at the root of it, if you don't have politics in your game, it's probably not going to be a fun game because it means it doesn't matter who wins or loses. There's no real way to determine who wins and loses. I think you're spot on. I, I, I was impressed by some of the examples that you gave because you started with some pretty, what I would call, innocuous sounding games. <laughs> right. Yeah, I started with 
I started with Hungry Hungry Hippos in that blog. And, and the reason was to, to link to Marsha's blog, um, Chiquita Fajita, because um, she has an interesting article saying that there can be no game without desire. Basically, the, the players have to want something for it to really be a game. And her example is Hungry Hungry Hippos. If you don't, if you don't want to get all the marbles, you, it's not really a, a meaningful game. And so I took the same Hungry Hungry Hippos example and said, this is a political game. It's, it's all about, you know, survival of the fittest. Who's the fastest hippo that can, you know, gobble the most marbles in the quickest amount of time? Um, and I think from there, I, I went on to, to Don't Like Daddy and, and talked about the kind of anti-authoritarian kind of ideals latent there. Um, and, and all of it's kind of a little bit tongue in cheek because obviously those are kids games, right? Um, so I'm kind of trying to stretch it to make examples. Um, but I think that the more obvious kind of political dimensions are, are from D&D and, and similar games that we all like to play. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, just just as a whole. And I'm saying Dungeons and Dragons as in a generic for role-playing games right now. <laughs> I do the same thing, yeah. <laughs> it's like Kleenex. Like Dungeons and Dragons, just even the, the, the classic D&D brand, like so many of those modules slave lords what's not political about that <laughs> i mean yeah that's slavery that's a very political topic that stuff's still going on around the world today you know they say dubai is built by slavery <laughs> pretty much like it didn't end and then you talk to a lot of people in the united states they say that slavery still doesn't exist in the united states in certain forms there's a lot of people making an argument for that and prison labor and things like that unpaid labor pretty much that's a highly, highly political topic. You're going to have slavery in the game. You got major politics there, period. Now, I hear a lot of people saying they don't want to talk politics in the game. What I normally hear when I hear that is they, I see these spaces that say that, and I hear very political things coming out of them. What it seems as if to me is that there is a certain this is the accepted norm, the politic that I embrace or accept. And if something isn't challenging to this worldview, I'm okay with it. But the minute somebody says something that would bump up against that worldview or challenge it or question it, that's when they consider it to be political. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if your politics are that, you know, the status quo of any situation is good, Obviously, you're going to be, you know, the absence of any discussion is, is favoring the status quo. Um, so whenever somebody kind of comments on, hey, you know, this is talking about, you know, slave lords, you know, what, what's, what's, what's going on here? Um, if, if that's your status quo, it's not anybody in the United States' status quo, hopefully, but the questioning it questions that kind of political dominance. Yeah, and politics themselves, not even current contemporary politics that we're discussing and debating within the United States or globally, but politics themselves are a big part of the game. We're talking about kings and kingdoms. What's, how can we avoid politics in a game like that? I play rifts. There is a literal fascist state that we have for the bad guy there that everybody's trying to fight. I'd say that's pretty political, even though some of the political issues in those games are a little made up they're kind of based on reality whereas dbs and rifts as well as called dimensional beings all these different aliens 
I mean, it's essentially a, a pejorative, a derogatory term for people that are not like ourselves. I mean, we're talking about xenophobia is right there inherent to the whole setting. That's a, a big part of it. Yeah. And I think that another reason people might balk at the idea that their games are political is I think that some people think that by saying that we're kind of putting a judgment on it and saying it's bad for you to have these kind of politics in your game. It's, it's bad to have a game with colonialism or xenophobia. Um, but one thing that I try to stress in the, the end of the article is that it's not necessarily a bad thing to, to have a game that's, you know, colonialist. I, th- I think it's actually interesting that we all enjoy this, you know, D&D is, is very colonialist and that, you know, you're defeating orcs, driving them from their land and building strongholds. It's interesting that that's a fun thing that we like to do. Um, I think that it's just more important to to recognize, you know, if you would like to subvert those tropes, you can, but um, at the bare minimum, don't make it invisible, kind of just see what's what's happening at the table. Yeah, I, I think that, like, I don't, I, I'm 100%, I don't steer away from those political issues when I game. I've been pretty, I've tried to be kind of upfront. If you want to go check out the Wobblies and Wizards blog that we have up, wobbliesandwizards.com, I have stated in there that I have a specific worldview. I have certain politics that I adhere to, and those influence maybe the things I say or the way I approach something. They're a bias that I have, and it's good for us to be able to examine, acknowledge, and see what the biases are we have, and when we say something, maybe be aware that that might be coming from our personal bias. (laughs) That's my take on it. I don't know how you feel about that, but... But that's my take on it. No, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it, it's also, for me, I'm, I'm usually the GM in, in my games. It's not even usually kind of my politics that kind of run the show because the players are making all the decisions. And so it really, a lot of it is their own kind of desires are, are what's put out there. If I have players who are interested in, you know, overthrowing the, the government in some city and establishing their own kingdom, um, which is, you know, cool and fun, they'll do it. Um, and it's it's very player-directed. And, and what I try to do is just kind of be neutral <laughs> and let them, let them put out their desires onto the world because, you know, that, that's what role-playing games are for. I think I think player autonomy is an important thing. And, and some of that does come out of some of my politics too. But that's another, <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. I like player autonomy. It helps perpetuate the game is how reality is. In reality... Nobody knocks on my door and says, hey, Logar, you want to go on a quest? Well, that's not true. White does sometimes when he brings over his game books to play. So, <laughs> But in reality, nobody's knocking on my door telling me, hey, let's go on this quest. Go there. You know, the adventures yeah, haven't I mean, found me. I had except, for, except for maybe in like the workplace context. That's the only time that somebody might uh, knock on your door and say, hey, do this quest for me. Oh. <laughs> uh, I try to avoid talking about work. I'm not the biggest fan of it. <laughs> no, that's not true. I, I like to do things and create things. I like labor. I actually like physical labor. Uh, oddly enough, I work a lot, but I don't like being treated the way that some places treat you when they employ you. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but that's a side. That's a side thing. That's that's getting too political. <laughs> I went, so Marsh's blog, I've been looking at as well. And this is chiquitafajita.blogspot.com. And you brought that up earlier. That Now, that 
prompt you to write the one you wrote? It didn't prompt me. So um, she's a friend of mine and she's a really, a really good thinker. She posted uh, an article today on, on kind of ways to demonetize the RPG hobby. That's an interesting piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but what kind of inspired this piece, it's, it's Twitter drama from like September. So it's on, it's no longer relevant, but it was <laughs> some uh, right-wing group put together a list of game companies and, and game producers who were woke, not woke. And then, you know, kind of in the middle of they can't decide if they're woke or not. And basically it was kind of a, an effort to boycott the woke producers and Twitter took this and was like, we should boycott the ones that are on the other list. But of, of course that's just kind of amplifying this, <laughs> this list made by self-proclaimed, you know, fascists. <laughs> so that, I, it was kind of in response to that Twitter drama that I wrote this, cause I was just frustrated on both sides of yeah. kind of the dominance of, of the idea that there could be an apolitical type of RPG. Yeah, there is, and I, I do recall that that drama. <laughs> I, do, I, 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 I I may have done a little rubbernecking, but I tried to stay out of it, just looking around. But that was about that's what it. I, I generally try to do the same thing with Twitter, and and it feels like years ago now, even though it was just September. But that's just the way that, especially being on Twitter, makes it seem that was that was many dramas ago that that happened. And I know there were a few uh, like uh, folks that I interact with quite often on the internet who were upset with the fact that they were put on the not woke list. And I thought that was interesting. They said they need to step it up a bit. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I actually had a friend. Um, I, I won't name his name just because, you know, it's unfair that he was even on this list, but they put him on the, the middle list, which was apolitical. And it was, you know, their reasoning was, well, his games don't have any political bent. And he, and he went to their terrible form and was like, you know, take me off this list, I believe, you know, and, and all the X, Y, and Z. But just the idea that they're... So it was, it was kind of also defending that friend and because people were saying, you know, to boycott these games. And it's like, you don't know their politics, really. I Like I said, I'm a, I'm a 100% a political person. I don't try to make this podcast about politics when I'm making it. Cause it really is about role-playing games. Cause I've been in love with role-playing games since, since the late eighties when I started playing and got into them, I get into it. I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of books on everything from history to philosophy. And I've got a ton of books on role-playing games because books are my thing. I'm, I'm just, if I'm a nerd of anything, like everybody has their little niche, mine is books. And that's one of the reasons I think I get so much into role-playing is because when I'm not actually playing, I can spend a lot of time flipping through a huge stack of books that I'll carry around with me. I had a point to this ramble. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do a little transition for you. Books are always a, a great inspiration. I feel like because I spend so much time designing RPGs, I can't read anything with, without getting some sort of kernel that I can use in my games. I know I was, I was reading last spring, I guess, Debt by David Graeber. Um, which is kind of the, the history of, of debt in society. You might have it on your bookshelf right now. Yeah. I think, I think, oh, you know what? It's not on the bookshelf directly behind me. I think it's in that other one down there. Debt by David Graeber was, I'm a big fan of that. I haven't read it in a while. It's probably been close to 10 years since I've read it. Yeah, <laughs> it I, well, I read it just this past year and, and it, it made me um, kind of rethink my, because I, I had a, an abstract wealth system and I ended up kind of incorporating an abstract reputation system. So that there was more of a, a social bent. I um, mean, and that's just from, from reading that book that, you know, 
on its face is nothing about games. And, and that's just true for everything that I read, I feel like. Uh, a debt by David Graeber made me question our economy and role-playing games too. Because <laughs> if you're looking at the reality of the history and that, like what actually, David Graeber, for those of you who don't know, is an anthropologist. He's an anthropologist, I think is a, written some really good stuff. And one of those is Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And it's a really good book worth picking up, but it questions a vast amount of things that were taught from like elementary, just basic economics and stuff. Well, this happened historically this way. And it kind of points out that historically, anthropologically, no, actually that's, we, we assign that retroactively. So like a lot of the ways economies and stuff we make function in our games weren't really like that. We're building it off of the current capitalist model. We're kind of mimicking it off of what we're so used to right now, but that's not what really was. So that really changes a lot when it comes to game. Was it Marsh's blog that addressed something along those lines that I was thinking of? Because I want to say somebody did recently. I, I don't know if she's, I think that she does have a blog post about saying that Guy Gax's economy is basically not <laughs> medieval. There's, there's a lot of really good blogs. I, saw, on I know the one you, I know the one you're talking about because we looked at that. We looked at that. We, we, we liked her blog because of that Guy Gax economy one was a good one. I'm sorry, go on. The, the entire like base system of, of D&D is so not medieval, which I think is actually better because it's, it's more of a Western really. Um, yes. Whenever you think about adventures like Keep on the Borderlands, um, it's, a, it's a Western as much as anything else. You know, these heroes from out of town roll in and, you know, they're on the, the Borderlands, which, which is part of why colonialism is so embedded there. Because, you know, the Borderlands is kind of like they're pushing West or in, in that case, I believe, East. But yeah, that, that's Gygax's economy is very kind of Western and modern in a way that's not, you know, medieval European, which, you know, to its betterment. And, and it's honestly, for most of us who live in this economy, it's much easier for us to grasp. Like, yeah, I've got books on feudalism and <laughs> I've read some of that. I don't know how I would try to mimic some of that in game because it's so foreign to what I'm just used to doing all the time that it's like, how do I make that feudalism work? I wouldn't. Yeah, we're, we're used to the price list as you know, you can you can look and see how uh... A, you know, tanker to veil costs one silver, but that's not how it really worked. <laughs> but it makes it convenient. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's easier to use. I think the good call by Arneson or, or Gygax, whoever decided yeah. to do that. <laughs> and I am kind of a fan of gold as XP, especially when gold is used to like pay for training or pay for things to, to better yourself as a character. I think that's a good way to gain XP and to level up as opposed to constantly fighting monster after monster for your XP, it gets a little like if you just killing the monsters where you get your XP. I mean, that's boring. But if all you got to do is get that bit of gold and get past that big, horrible thing that can kill you, that gets more interesting to me as a game. If you don't want to necessarily, you don't have to kill the dragon. You just want some of that gold. How are you going to get it? That's more fun to me. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, that, that's the orthodox OSR position is that, you know, goal for XP is the best way to do it. But another kind of interesting, what you know, twist on that is the RPG Errant by Abel Islam. It has, um, you have to waste the gold to get the XP. So you have to, you know, spend it carousing or 
or otherwise kind of you know spend the money. It's not just acquiring it; it's it's wasting it. It's how you, how you're using it and getting it out there. Essentially, I've heard a lot of takes on that. Specifically, say okay, the fighters. I think they said they want fighters to. Someone was saying they want their fighters to spend their money on getting drunk and doing brawly activities and stuff, and that's where the XP comes in from spending gold. So, there's some cool approaches there. Aaron has a similar kind of thing. So, like you know, the fighters will be getting you know, drunk and fighting in bars, but the, the wizards will waste their money on books like, you know, debt and, and, and et cetera. <laughs> um, you know, the thieves might go gambling. Um, so yeah, class-based money wasting rules. <laughs> I like it. I got no problem with it. I may, I, like I've said before, I, I do have, since we're talking about apolitical and political and cash and money, you know, I will say that capitalism isn't my favorite thing. I've got big critiques of it. But when it comes to games like Monopoly and Dungeons and Dragons, I use it a lot for fun. Don't know where that puts me. That is just the reality of the situation. <laughs> it's also the reality of the situation that I do live in a capitalist society. And as much as I can imagine or propose something different, I still have to work within the confines of what exists. I still have to buy food at the grocery. I grow some of my food. I like gardening. I don't have enough room to grow all my food and I'm not about to spend that much money and time trying to get myself set to grow all my food. I'm not that, you know, impractical. I live in reality. So it is what it is. Little rant. Sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> no, no worries. This is, this is definitely going to go down as probably the most political episode. I think we've done yet. I'm trying not to get too out there because I know that when I when I did my political blog before, prior to doing this, I would I made a lot of people very angry very often. And I'd like for I have a uh, when I approached doing a game thing, my intent is like one of the rules is I don't re review and talk about stuff I don't like because I don't want to say bad things about folks on here and their things they're working hard on and creating on their own. So. It's not my intent to cause inflammatory conflict or anything like that and bringing these things up, but I think it's worth talking about that the narrative going around, there seems to be some kind of conflict within our community around having a political space versus not a political space. And the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically is because I liked what you wrote. I thought there was very well thought out and you're pointing out things like the authoritarianism and, and don't wake daddy and the scare the scarcity resource and stuff like that and hungry hippos i thought was a brilliant approach and way to point it out and those are so innocuous but it's there yeah it's the kind of things you don't see unless you're really looking yeah and it's one of those things where a lot of times if something's an issue to an issue uh, that is political, not everyone may be aware of the political connotations of that issue, especially if it's not something you're pretty read up on at a point. Maybe totally unaware of anything within these realms. I discovered that. I, I made a 360 when it came to what I believed and stood for politically from growing where I grew up you know, to being in the Marine Corps to where I went when I got out. I, I just did. And a lot of the stuff that I clung to before then, I can I understand that people think certain things that I don't believe anymore because I believed them once. So I have a little bit of patience and I'm not going to like haul off on someone. 
at the same time, sometimes a lot of times, if you haven't taken the time to educate yourself in something, you can be very unaware of it. <laughs> Was that a weird ramble? I don't know. Did no, no, I, I think that that's totally on point. Because um, that's what I'm really, that piece was more just about awareness and, and being aware that the games are political rather than saying the game should have any particular type of political bent. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people kind of chafe against just that idea that the game should be political, but. I, I like political games. I'm not trying to say that every space should become a political space at all. I kind of like some of the times when I go into a place and it's focused on games, there's no politics, but at the same time, I think the biggest problem that I see in some of this is like communication is crap. <laughs> Internet communication is terrible. There's a big problem with that. And people just would rather argue in bad faith. And that's not a thing I'm, I'm interested in doing with somebody is arguing in bad faith. There's a lot of that out there. I think the Internet definitely kind of incentivizes that and and Twitter especially, and I think people on Twitter will, will, will say the same thing, of, that it doesn't really promote, you know, a, coming to consensus. It just is about picking sides and arguing, even among people you agree with. We're running about on time. So before we go, I'd like you to let the listeners know where they can find you online and the Kickstarter real quick. So yeah, you can find me on uh, my own blog, prismaticwasteland.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at prismaticwastes. Uh, plural. Um, and my Kickstarter is Barkeep on the Borderlands. It's probably already gone live, but if not, it's going live February 8th. And we, we look forward to kind of having everybody see what, what's going on there and everybody grabbing a pint with us. Excellent. Excellent. And you can always find us on the Facebook. If you search Wobblies and Wizards, you can find me, Logar the Barbarian, on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom. Our blog is wobbliesandwizards.com. We just started a Patreon recently. We'd love your support. It's just patreon.com backslash wobbliesandwizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.